Hey everyone, welcome to Founded Context, a program where we talk with modern architects about how they solve problems. Uh, I'm Ryan Shriver, CTO of Singlestone, and with me today is John Chapin, a co-founder of Symphonia, a cloud expert consulting company. Um, and John's a recent author of Programming AWS Lambda, uh, Building and Deploying uh, Applications. Yes, I have it on my Kindle. Uh, sorry, you just met, but I had it on my Kindle this morning. <laughs> I was looking in, so hey, welcome John, welcome to the program. Yeah, no, so it's, uh... Awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I always look forward to talking to you. We always have great conversations, either over dinner or, or just like this. We do. we do. So tell the folks a little bit about yourself. I'm a partner, really one half of a very small consultancy called Symphonia. It's myself and a gentleman named uh, Mike Roberts. Um, we specialize mostly cloud architecture, mostly serverless, mostly AWS. Uh, been in business for about three and a half years. We met at an ad tech company uh, here in New York before that. Uh, we were both sort of heavily involved in the, in the data teams there. Um, Mike was actually uh, CTO there for a little while. Um, I was running data science, data engineering. Um, that's where we really started using uh, sort of AWS serverless to solve big problems. And that, the, that, that was sort of the inspiration for us to pull back a little bit and decide, hey, let's actually start a consulting company so that we can go and help a lot of people solve these kind of problems. You know, I was in a bunch of startups, a uh, bunch of places that are sort of local to where you are, Ryan, yeah. in, uh, in and around Virginia. Um, did, did, my, did my stint in a, a big government consulting company like oh. everybody in the D.C. area does. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was a, I was a JMU uh, computer science grad uh, a while ago. We'll just say a while ago. Wow, wow. Duke Computer Science. I went to Mary Washington. Uh, it was a computer yeah. science grad there, too. But, uh, yeah, we have, some, we have a lot of Dukes around uh, the office there. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, welcome. So, John, tell us about some of the current work um, you're doing. Yeah, so uh, so it's funny. Uh, the, the work we're doing now, uh, we're finally getting around to the work we thought we'd be doing about three years ago. So so we came out, Symphonia came out of the gate. We're like, serverless is awesome. We are going to just, we're going to go bring serverless to the world. Everybody's going to want to work with us. Uh, and, and we got out there, and that wasn't quite what happened, right? Um, and... Uh, so a lot of our a lot of our work has really been. And this is you know you're a consultant too, so you sort yeah. of understand that the the real problems uh, are often not technology, right? Um, and you know technology is like the cool sort of sexy thing to say, hey, this we're going to bring this we're going to bring AWS Lambda in. It's going to just solve everything. Um, and really, you know, you end up doing a lot more around uh, you know helping people communicate, uh, sort of helping people understand. What the sort of what the what the blockers really are, or what the what the bottlenecks are, um, you know, and and so that's what we've actually, we actually we do a lot of that where we'll go in and we'll we'll sort of sit with teams, and the impetus for us being there might be a technology, you know, it's perceived as a technology problem, um, you know, but what we'll actually sort of discover when we're there is actually you know let's talk about, uh, you, you know, scoping things or let's talk about continuous deployment or in a few cases, let's talk about source control. Um, you know, let's let's. Uh, so so while we sell ourselves as architects, and that's you know, as, while we certainly like to do architecture, and that you know, if, if I had to sort of pick something out of the air and say like this is where we're we're really the best value, it, it often takes us some time to to get people there to a point at which a new architecture or different architectural thinking is actually going to solve some of their bigger problems. Um, rather than just be sort of another thing that they spend time on, but they're not actually addressing the real issues. Interesting. So, so when you get into, you know, one of the focuses of the program is how to 
architects think about solving problems. I've seen a lot of great material out there um, around engineering and building things, but, but something I'm hoping to hit with this series is, what's the mental process that you think about? So when you're given a problem, and it's sort of a complex one, and maybe it's, like you said, maybe it's a combination of people and systems, sometimes the systems. How do you go about sort of approaching that problem? Like walk, walk us through sort of the, the thought process about how you go from, hey, have a problem down to, hey, here might be some options in the solution. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Well, I, I try to have as much as possible um, an approach to architecture that sort of mirrored my approach to you know, sort of software engineering, you know, 10 years ago maybe. Uh, very iterative, very based on experimentation. Um, often what we're doing um, is, is trying to kind of break down the barriers between this idea of architecture and the actual the, the engineers that are that are going to be doing the work and maintaining the systems. In a lot of places, there's you know the architects sort of sit up in their ivory tower and have their enlightened view of the world and sort of chuck it down at engineers who who are kind of forced you know in a lot of cases are forced to to uh, you know it's like oh well, the architect has spoken therefore we must implement it like this yeah. not necessarily being encouraged to ask questions about like okay why did you do it this way or hey we actually you know there's some constraint that the architect, uh, you know, didn't understand or didn't realize, and now we have to work around it. How does that change the architecture? So what we really try to do is get people, and especially, especially with cloud uh, technology, get people to understand that the cost of experimentation is super low, and it could be applied to architecture, just as it could be applied to writing, you know, some bit of code, you know, in an application. Like, okay, cool, let's experiment. Uh, let's bring more people in. Let's find out early uh, what some of the constraints and behaviors of these systems might be. Um, and because a lot of cases now, what we're, you know, we say, okay, we're doing architecture. Um, it's almost, maybe you could describe it as sort of integration architecture. Hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're pulling in a bunch of highly managed services, you know, from, from vendors or whatever. Um, and the role of the architect, uh, you know, is not necessarily to you know, apply uh, you know PhD level computer science principles to a business problem. It's really to try to help everybody have a clear understanding of the constraints and how pieces can fit together. Um, and then where we take that is okay. Let's let, let's actually run some experiments. Let's uh, yeah. let's discover those constraints. Let's iterate. It's interesting. You know, I, I refer to them often as the boxes and arrows architects. Yeah. Right. You know, it's it's they, they draw big boxes and arrows and they're all pointing in the right direction. Some have dotted lines and some do not. But yeah. as soon as you sort of get a little bit deeper into there or the first time it hits a new constraint, mm -hmm. you're right. The team has to implement are the ones who have to understand conceptually what they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, actually, is your approach, you mentioned the experimentation, is it a little bit of that unique to serverless or you're finding no matter whether you're doing container workloads or serverless workloads that, that it's the same or does it does it differ? If you're using like architecting for serverless versus not, I, I would say it's more more similar than different. Um, okay. Again, for us, it's always about uh, you know sort of cost of experimentation and how how much do you have to do to start experimenting, right? How much infrastructure do you have to build up? How much um, you know how much sort of ceremony do you have to go through before you can actually you know try a you know a, a little piece of your application or a little piece of your system. Um, and what we also find, uh, I'm going to segue just like a tiny little bit here, yeah, of course. Uh, is that the, 
you know, whereas before maybe maybe you could have a relatively clear distinction between architects and engineers, so much of how distributed applications work these days, especially when they're deployed to platforms like AWS using components like Lambda, you know, Dynamo, Kinesis, that kind of stuff. Um, so much of the behavior and the logic of the application is now part of the architecture. Hmm. And so engineers actually have to be architects now. Like that's another rationale for pushing pushing this stuff, you know, further towards the actual people that are going to be doing it and helping them get involved in the process early and iterate and experiment. It's because to actually, you know, put in place the logic to solve their problems, they're going to have to do, you know, what we would have classically called architecture, um, you know. So that that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, no, I like. It. I mean, I was when I was reading your book, I, I, there's a term I picked up, and I think it's the, do the minimum technical work necessary. Sustainably provide value to our users, and I thought I was I reread that, and I was like, wow, that sort of you know hits on it because a lot of times we think, you know, computer science and architecture, we want to solve for all of this, and it's going to be some sort of well, up front we just got to build it all, the whole infrastructure before we can really start to do that. And I think earlier in the book, I'd read the preface this undifferentiated heavy lifting, which I love yeah. that that sort of term. Um, yeah. And so you know, it, it sounds like. You know, when you're talking about architecture, it is a closer of a merging of to the engineering and then minimizing that technical work up front mm -hmm. to, to evolve and learn something. Yeah, no, absolutely. You hit it on the head there. We can't take credit for that undifferentiated heavy lifting phrase. I think AWS. Yeah, I think that was Dr. Dr. Wagner's um, yeah. um, who wrote that, which is uh, really cool. So, so tell me, what are some of the lessons that you guys are learning um, as you go about and applying this? What are some lessons you can share? A big lesson is that. Uh, especially when you're using you know other people's services and so you know, you're using AWS's services um, building too much up front if you don't have a deep understanding of exactly what those services do and their constraints and their limitations and their capabilities um, building too much up front is an exercise in frustration wow. um, and so and AWS really just frankly don't do a great job of clearly documenting you know what those constraints and capabilities are they don't you know there's very few places where they give you a decision tree like okay i want this outcome or i want this you know application uh behavior and so here i'm going to follow this decision tree to pick the right services and then use them in the right way and put them together in the right way um so what we've learned is that if you are going to spend some time up front um or if you are going to sort of slow down a little bit and carefully consider things those are the things that you're considering um, and so we jo I, I joke a lot of times that part of the service that I provide is is reading between the lines of AWS documentation. <laughs> nice, nice. And, and you know this as well as you know as well as anybody yeah. that it's often uh, it's just as important what they do say as what they don't say because they're very very rarely are they going to uh, exhaustively you know cover all the ways that something doesn't work. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah cover all the constraints that won't work. So let me tell you, John, as you've grown up in this, who have been some of your bigger influencers in terms of your sort of you know, path to getting from, I assume a computer science graduate, right? To, to yeah. sort of in the architecture, who are some of the people um, that have really been influenced uh, to you? Yeah, well, so aside from yourself, um, <laughs> so, so one of my, so, so another, another uh, sort of tech, community that I was a big part of for a long time and sort of I, I still follow closely is the closure community okay um, so you know for, for those that don't know so, so closure is a, is a list language that runs on the JVM so okay. interoperability with all 
you know, a bunch of Java libraries and things like that. Um, and and so I got involved in that community. Um, I don't know, maybe 2009, 2010-ish, something like that. And the the man who who conceived of and implemented Closure is this guy named Rich Hickey. Yeah. And he just his uh, the way he breaks down problems and his sort of clarity of thought, I've always found just super inspirational, really, really wonderful. I was a, I was one of the organizers of the Closure NYC meetup for a long time. Wow. Had the pleasure of, of, of meeting Rich and sitting down with him over drinks and, and arguing about various things. And uh, I wouldn't want to do that with a whole lot of people, but he's certainly one of them. <laughs> um, and so he, he, gives a, he gives a bunch of great talks. Um, and there's one I'd like to just call out. It's like, if, if you don't go do anything else, go watch Simple Made Easy, uh, which is a, a, a talk that Rich Hickey gave. He gave it, I think, a few different places. Uh, definitely, I think he did it at Strange Loop one year. Um, I've got a Strange Loop t-shirt on. Oh, nice, nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I think he gave it a few other places. It's definitely, it's online, and, and I'll give you a okay. link for the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lindsay will share it with us. So Yeah, so, like so I highly recommend that, but it's just a... A real, a real interesting look at his thought process, um, and he also. So I just talked a little bit about how, you know, in some cases it's better to sort of slow down a little bit and sort of, you know, think, uh, think before you act. Um, and so he talks a little bit about, or I don't know if this is a true story or not, but he's talked about panic time, this idea of panic time, where you know, faced with a thorny problem, you know, he may not actually jump right into the implementation, but he may just, you know, take a little bit of time in his hammock or or whatever, um, you know. So, so he's. I, I certainly find him inspirational. Um, you know, I certainly love. I, I really. I, what resonates with me a lot of times is understanding people's thought processes. Not necessarily exactly what they, what their output is. Agree. Uh, but just you know, okay, how do they think? How do they break problems down? And so Martin Fowler is another great example of somebody that yeah. just. Yeah. You know, he, he goes away and he, he writes something. He comes out and it's just crystal yeah. clear. Yeah, he's on top of my list. I, yeah. I'm so admired. I've been such a fan of his for a long time that he can explain his ability mm-hmm. to explain it. It's just mm-hmm. phenomenal. Um, yeah. I mean, in fact, you know, we're calling this bound of context. Uh, that's yeah. the whole name of the program. But yeah. a bit of a you know nod to sort of the, the um, I guess it's Eric Evans. You know, his first yeah the domain driven design. Yeah, 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 the book that was like this big, and we all got yeah. to do about this much of it. Yeah. Um, but but <laughs> you know, super. But you know, I would agree that that Martin Fowler's um, sort of Ability to explain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been super inspired by him as well. Yeah, and that's a. I think that's a. That's a lesson for me has always been try to be very clear, and you know try try to break things down. Um, and I, I try to sort of you know help help our clients and you know help the people I work with, um, you know do more of that because um, it, it sort of helps everybody, right? Um, and the other the other thing I wanted to call out real quick on sort of. Not necessarily, um, you know, influencers from you know from the last ten or twenty years, but kind of a recent resource that I found really helpful and interesting. Finally, finally, some great uh, uh, documentation and sort of content out of AWS. They're doing this builder series uh, set of like blog posts. It's like long form articles um, okay. where they actually get you know get some of their technical experts. Um, to sort of write, you know, like a description of like, okay, here's how CI/CD works at global scale, and those and, and those things are those they're they're well they're well written, well edited, um, 
and so like uh, Claire Liguri, um, who I think we've seen on stage at reInvent a few times, yeah. um, she just did one on CICD, uh, like how AWS do CICD for global services. Huh. Um, and that, that stuff uh, has been just a breadth of, of wonderful uh, sort of fresh air and, and excellent technical content from Amazon. So I encourage people to check that out too. Absolutely. So uh, Lindsay and our team, we'll get all these links and when we yeah. put this out, we'll have all of the links. So, um, so let me, um, what are the current topics? And so obviously, yeah, you guys sort of focus on serverless and that's mm -hmm. not all you do, but what are the current topics and, and sort of trends that, that you're keeping top of mind that you're kind of you know, staying up to speed on? I'm going to start by sort of describing, um, you know, when we talk about what serverless is, and I'll, I'll, this is a, I'll plug our little report that oh, we yeah, wrote. That, that was the original one. That was this the original, was the original one. one, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, so, so the way we kind of describe serverless is not in terms of technology, but in terms of kind of attributes of technology, mm -hmm. right? So it's not, you know, serverless is not functions as a serverless. Rather, serverless is, you know, uh, granular scaling and, you know, per request billing and, uh, you know, high availability and things like that. And so what we're always interested in um, are, are things that have those attributes that aren't necessarily things like Lambda. Um, and so we've been doing a ton of work recently. I think our last, I don't know, two or three clients this year, uh, we've been doing a lot of sort of data platform work, uh, sort of reaching back to, to my previous role as, you know, in data engineering and data science. Um, I think, you know, we, we've done some work together on, yeah. on those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and pushing people towards, uh, you know, solutions for those problems that have those serverless attributes. And you know, so we're, we're, we're helping people with things like uh, an example of AWS Glue, okay. right? So this is, uh, AWS Glue is effectively highly managed Spark. And so if you're in the data community, use Spark to do, uh, you know, ETL and, and, you know, machine learning and things like that. And, uh, you know, Spark on a service like Elastic MapReduce, so that's Amazon's big cluster uh, sort of service, is super powerful and it's a huge pain in the ass to run, right? Like every company I've ever been that's doing, you know, you know, Spark on EMR or whatever on EMR, they spend a ton of time just dealing with EMR, dealing with the, the infrastructure and all of the associated you know, bringing up clusters and scaling them and how do you pay for them? How do you sort of cost optimize? How do you get your libraries onto the thing in a way that you, allows you to use them? How do you get data into and out of it in a way that won't bankrupt you? Um, and so, you know, we see that and we're like, okay, that's really not serverless. It doesn't have some of these attributes that we've talked about. And the outcome of technology having those attributes is that we, we reduce the operational burden and we get to focus more on the, you know, the stuff that we, we care about. We do less of, you know, as we said before, we do less of that undifferentiated heavy lifting. Yeah. And so we, we look for those technologies and glue is one of those. It's not perfect. And, you know, it's still, you know, has a bunch of sort of caveats and limitations, but it takes a lot of that heavy lifting away and lets you focus a little bit more on, okay, I actually want to do, here's the business part of this. Here's the actual business specific part of an ETL transform, or here is how I, can shape data and move it from one place to another without worrying about how big my cluster is or whether I'm using spot instances or not, or, you know, what have you, uh, and get that in front of business users so they can, you know, do whatever they want to do with it. Um, so we, we've been super interested in that and, and our work has sort of taken us there a little bit recently as well. Oh, cool. No, it, it does seem like you know, the, the managed service, when I talk to clients, like one of the things we look at is like, where can you leverage managed services and really good? Right. I mean, yep. 
there's some times you need to run your own Kubernetes clusters, but you know, a lot of times it's like, well, I mean, how different are your Kubernetes clusters from your competitors' Kubernetes clusters? Yeah. And how yeah. many engineers are you throwing at solving yeah. essentially what is the new operating system? I think Kubernetes is the new operating system, right? Or we just moved it up a level, but mm -hmm. you're still having to, you, I still see platform teams managing yeah. it. And it's, you know, on the one hand, okay, maybe that's better than operating systems managing a bunch of AMIs and those sort of things. But on the other hand, that's a lot of people who essentially aren't building yeah. features per se. Yeah. They're managing um, just different infrastructure. Even if it's the cloud, it's just different yeah. sort of infrastructure. Managing that stuff and diverging from the mainstream and how it's run, setting you up for more, you know, again, more sort of specialized effort that's not yeah. necessarily in the main line of what you're trying to accomplish as a business. We were talking earlier, I think it's 2017, right, when we met. Yeah. We brought you guys in and you spent up our uh, engineering team twice, I think, came into some training. I knew at the time that serverless was something that was going to be bigger. I mean, I didn't know, but I knew that we didn't know as much as I wanted to about it. Um, and so I engaged uh, you and you and Mike came down, uh, I think did two classes with us and got rave reviews from our engineers. And it was really great because myself and all of our engineers could basically be at the same learning level. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing I remember from that was my, part of that, my thought of serverless was a function here, a function there. And one of the first things you guys did was create like cloud formation to create a pipeline and we did yep. the examples it was all about the packaging and deployment and then it like aha and my head went off the cloud formation just wasn't just for standing up servers and networks you could really use that as your kind of deployment pipeline and what you need to stand up and that was a big aha to me at the time was, yep. was that piece of it and it's evolved since then i think there's, there's multiple serverless frameworks sort of out there i think it's kind of down to two if you will yeah and it, but, i mean really uh, you know again i'll make the point that it Fundamentally, I don't actually care about serverless technology. I care about the outcomes that we get from it. And so whether you're using Lambda or whatever on the application side, whether you're using CloudFormation or Terraform or the serverless framework, I don't care. Just you know, infrastructure as code gives you that outcome of being able to deploy whenever you want, right? Yeah. Um, and having a CI/CD pipeline gives you that low mean time to resolution for uh, yeah. you know, fixing bugs or for getting features out in front of people. So yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm really glad you know this. You know, I was I was writing another article on 2004. We were using cruise control. You remember you were probably using yeah. cruise control way back in the day too, right? And you know, it's a funny story. Mike Roberts, my partner, was a committer yeah. on cruisecontrol.net. Oh, really? I knew he worked at ThoughtWorks, but no, that's right. The .NET version came a little yeah. later. Um, but no, that that was my first, and that was 2004. We had set it up, and then I had the aha. Oh my God, this is going to be you know, mm -hmm. the way things are done. Yeah. And, uh, so and it is. There needs to be. Yeah, yeah. So same concept, different technologies. You're right, different technologies these days, mm -hmm. but same basic concept. So, uh, mm -hmm. awesome, John. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Have you. a great weekend, and yeah, uh, we'll see you there.